what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Chris, it feels like it's been forever. I know, it was 2016. We haven't recorded since <laughs> last year. That's right. Well, exactly. I, it obviously hasn't been a year since we've recorded, but it does yeah. feel like it's been that it long. Does. We took a little bit of an extended break. Through the holidays and then just getting back in the swing of things here in 2017 has been a fun challenge. But we're here and we've actually got a really kind of big show. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you really, talk about. really want to measure the show in terms of content and number of films to be discussed, this is going to be a pretty big show. We've got a lot of catch up to do. Right. And we just timed our show just appropriately. So where the Oscar nominations just came out a few days ago. So we are right fresh ready to talk about them. So today's show, this is our film review and discussion show, and we're going to hold to that promise today as we review the film La La Land, we review the film Moonlight, spoiler alert, both of those films are nominated for Best Picture, (laughs) spoiler alert, I believe one of those two will win, which one, we'll find out later in our discussion. Right. But we'll talk about the film La La Land and the film Moonlight. You and I both have some short reviews we can give of other films that we have independently seen. I will be uh, discussing the film The Founder. And Chris, which film will you be discussing? I was going to talk briefly about Fences. Fences, that's right. Uh, the Founder did not get any nominations. It maybe came out a little too late or missed that whole season. Fences, however, did get quite a few we'll talk sure. about as well. So really four films we're going to review. Then we're going to move into our news section where all we're going to do is talk about the Oscar nominations. That's it. Because why not? Why not? (laughs) That can easily fill a lot of time there. Then, as always, we end the show with our recommendations. This is a a movie that each of us will pick out and talk about for a few minutes that we have either caught up with recently, feel like maybe it's worth seeing or worth catching back up on. And uh, or just something if you're going into the weekend, you need a film to kind of pull up online. We try to make some films that you can find online through some vehicle. So, Chris, it's a lot to cover, man. It's a lot. Let's cut the chit-chat. Let's get right to it. Is that okay. all right? Yeah, sounds good. good. Let's get right into our first film review, which is La La Land. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? You're holding on to the past, but jazz is about the future. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. It's like a pipe dream. This is the dream. It's conflict and it's compromise. It's very, very exciting. Chris, we talked about this film, La La Land, some in the months previous. I think there may have been some discussion uh, about Whiplash, which was Damien Cazell's previous film, nominated for Best Picture. 
nominated for Best Supporting Actor, I believe, at the time as well. Did Simmons win? I think he won. I think he did. Okay. I think. I'm going to go with you and say yes. Okay. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but it sounds like a good answer. Sure. Uh, I was a big fan of Whiplash. Really, really liked Whiplash. You liked it. I liked it. There were some aspects that... I know you weren't crazy about some plot twists later in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. I, I loved it top to bottom. thought it was a great film. I still find myself watching it every once in a while, especially mm. the closing moments of the film. Okay. So I was extremely excited when I heard about La La Land. The idea that uh, Damien Cazell was going to make a true straight out musical, like big, big Hollywood style, old style musical. Right. Starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. The general plot idea is that he's a jazz pianist and she is an aspiring actress. They meet up, fall in love, and then the story progresses and you follow and see what happens to this relationship, all while interspersed with music and dancing just breaking out at spontaneous times. Right. Watching Whiplash, and I know you've seen uh, I've se- you've seen Chazelle's short film that was done. Well, before. It, was a, it was a feature, but yeah, it was oh, very, right. no, it very independent, very small independent. Yeah, film. yeah, yeah. Guy and Madeline on a park bench. That is the actual name of the film, not <laughs> the description. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> uh, so you've actually seen more of his work than I have. I only know Whiplash. In seeing Whiplash, I could have told you going to a straight out musical was right up this guy's alley. So this sounded like a perfect fit project. On paper, Ryan uh, Gosling, Emma Stone, both talented actor and actresses. Uh, I have heard Emma Stone sing before, so I knew she had that in her. I don't think I've ever heard Ryan Gosling sing before, so I could not attest to whether he would be a good fit for the dancing and singing part. Um, but here we are. We've got the film. We've both seen it. It's nominated for a slew of Oscars. It won a slew of Golden Globes. Chris, I'll just ask you the simple question. Here we are in the midst of all these nominations. Did it deserve it in your mind? <laughs> I mean, um, I, 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 can, I get that. Um, unfortunately for me, uh, I saw this film after I feel like almost everyone else on earth had uh, seen it. Now, I don't know how many of our listeners you know, out there have or have not seen it. Um, I like this film, but I do not love this film. Okay. Um, and it's, I think it all comes down to, uh, I, I think I've heard some people knock the two leads, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. I don't have a problem with it. Um, you thought they were okay. I thought, I thought they were fun. I thought they were okay. good. Um, it comes down to, I guess the actual plot of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, not that musicals are supposed to be, you know, just some like really in depth plot or the, you know, some themes. Usually, you know, it's pretty boy meets girl. They do this, but I guess because it was coming from somebody who'd made whiplash and who I thought some of the creativity would rise to the top and make for a more interesting storyline. And basically had this not been a musical, I'd have been so bored. Well, if it hadn't been a musical, it would never have been made. I don't. Well, there I don't are think lots of little romantic comedies that get made all the no, time. No, but about, I think this film was specifically made to be a musical. I mean, that's well, just yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing is like sure. I don't think this plot. I agree with you. I don't think the plot warrants a film. <laughs> it's the musical. It's making let's take a storyline and let's build a musical around it in a very grand style. So I, I, I give it more of a pass on the plot and story because of that. Because I look at it more as the production of it as opposed to. Am I in the? Am I watching this for an hour or fifty minutes to follow a story? Not necessarily. I'm watching it to 
gain an experience. But anyway, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sidetracking your, your, your comment. No, Please continue. Um, so, I, yeah, I just I liked it. I think it's the worst word in film criticism. I think it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked it more than you. Um, I, I am a fan of the film. I do have some misgivings with it. I can't say it's a perfect film. Um, there's a few things that maybe keep me just on the border of saying I love it. I really like it. So I guess if that's our scale, you know, you go up and you, you hit the like, <laughs> maybe you go really like above that, and then you go love. I'm probably not at the love part either, but for some reasons I'll describe, I'm probably at that really like part. Though. Well, I feel, I feel like, you know, you you cannot deny which is why I can't say it's a bad film. It's well-made, you know, the cinematography, the costuming, the lighting, you know, all that's really well done. The acting is really well done. It just comes down to that part I said about, you know, about the story. And for me, honestly, there again, a lot of this has to do with, with buildup. The opening number, I'd heard so much about this opening number that I saw it and I was kind of like, eh, I, I, I didn't really think it was that great production wise, like how they pulled it off maybe, but the song itself and kind of like, mm. I don't know. It just felt, I, well, it just wasn't that impressive to me. I will say so. the, the, for me, the strongest parts of the film were the opening 20 minutes in hmm. the closing 15, 20 minutes. Okay. I do feel like those were the best parts of the film. And unfortunately there's a period of about an hour or so in between <laughs> Where I I do feel like it it loses some of the energy and excitement it had. Right. Regardless of how you feel about the song and the opening credits, I still like I really like the production of that opening song. And I did see this before you. I saw it probably a week or so before yeah. you. Right. I saw it probably right before the really big rush of all this talk about it came about. I had been tracking this film and wanting to see it just personally. Then I think about the time I tried to see it is when I really started to notice everybody started talking about it. So maybe I didn't go in with quite the level of expectations or hype around it that you did. I do think the opening opening uh, number, actually the opening two numbers, are very well staged, big production numbers. A lot of movement, a lot of dancing, a lot of singing, a lot of chore- choreography, a lot of coordination. And I thought they were really good. There's another musical scene about a third of the way through the film that I also think is really good. Just the two leads, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, singing and dancing. I thought was really good as well. After that point, there's a point where they start the relationship. It's fine. It just kind of skips along for a while. There's nothing really... I don't feel like it has that same level of energy or creativity. It actually loses a little focus, I think, of being the old-style musical. It goes with a lot of montages and interesting things, but it kind of loses that whole, let's just break out in a song and dance, which I thought we really had in the first 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. It kind of loses that. It kind of goes into more of a traditional romance comedy story where music is just the supplement to what's happening as opposed to it becomes about the music. So that's where I lost some enthusiasm through the film. But then I do feel like the last 15, 20 minutes, which we won't go into details for spoilers, but the way the film wraps up with a fairly large extravagant musical number that also ties in nicely with, I think where the story ends was a really nice ending to the film. It's not a cliche ending. It's not the ending. I think people maybe would expect when they see the beginning of the film. And for that reason, I like it. I think it's a little subversive. I think it's, I I like the way it ended and I like the production around that number. And, when you really sit back and think about that whole last number, it's actually a pretty clever way to end the film. Yeah, so to try to 
you know, although I feel like I am the last person, so we shouldn't be worried about spoilers. I understand that there probably are some of you out there who haven't seen it. So we're dancing around spoilers, pun intended, because we're talking about a musical. First song didn't hook me at all. Yeah. So I was kind of bored. And I was like, okay, you know, the musical, the music's got to catch you. And I, I've, one of the negatives I can say about the film I actually thought a lot of the songs kind of sounded the same. Actually, the first two, and granted, with the musical, you often have themes and you bring them back in and you then you mm-hmm. hint at them mm-hmm. and that's kind of how you weave the music in and out. But the very first two, let's call it the overpass opening mm-hmm. and then the going to a party, for yep. lack of a better term, mm-hmm. those two had elements in it that were so very similar. I was like, what is this one big, long, like 30 minute or 20 minute song or whatever? So that I think that was the problem is that I expected to be grabbed from the very beginning mm-hmm. and I wasn't. And then I just kind of liked the movie, but what saved it from me just totally being disappointed and being a complete letdown, I will say was, and there again, to avoid spoilers, mm-hmm. there's an audition number that mm-hmm. Emma Stone gets to have her yep. big part. That was really good for me. Yep. And then the final bookend set piece that you're talking about. Yes. Both of those were really strong and also kind of really different in like the music. It was and the, creative. It was yeah. just, it, it worked from a production standpoint. I, I almost felt like the film by that point figured out, oh, wait a minute. Hey, we're supposed to be this kind of innovative, creative musical. Let's jack that back up again because right. they really had lost sight of that for about 45 minutes to an hour. And so it kind of won me over at the end. Yeah. I will say something. Too, um, from the trailers that they showed, and it was interesting because my son, I tried to get the whole family to go see it. Yeah. And, you know, how do you do that? Well, you show them a trailer. You lie to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I said, oh, it's, you know, it's has music in it. And so I said, but it's, it's supposed to be really cool and innovative. And I showed, you know, the kids the trailer. My daughter, she loves theater, loves singing and all that. She's like, oh, yeah, I want to go. My son's response was, uh, I'm just going to stay at home. It seems like they're just constantly kissing. Which then when I went back and watched the trailer, should have watched it before. I'm like, yeah, there actually is a lot of kissing in that trailer. Mm -hmm. And there's actually not that much in the movie. But it was funny. Like, that's the thing he took away. It's like nothing but a romance. They're just kissing the whole time. But one of the things from the trailer that he saw, too, that the um, city of stars, mm-hmm. that song, like I'd heard little bits of that song mm-hmm. and I was expecting to just be blown away mm-hmm. by that in the movie. And instead I was kind of like, huh. <laughs> like, yeah. and I was, I was expecting the kind of production number we got at the end yeah. for those two pieces. I was expecting city of stars to really be like the big thing. And it wasn't. And I just, I don't know if it's a missed opportunity or just, I, I don't know. Well, and that was one of those songs that was really featured kind of in that middle part. In the middle of part. The that I felt right. like it just didn't really, didn't really work as well. And sure. uh, it's almost like, you know, again, they, 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 there was magic in that first 30 minutes. They kind of forgot about the magic part. Right. Let's just weave in some nice musical moments every once in a while, but let's carry the story. And then at the end, it's, okay, yeah, we need to get back to that whole magic thing that we were doing for a while. We did that with the audition and then the closing set piece. So, yeah, it, it, that, that's my misgivings with the film is I wish it carried through the same level of energy, which I really did like at the beginning and at the end. I wish it had carried that through more consistently tone-wise throughout the film. I think it could have done it. And it, maybe it would have made the plot, the simplicity of the plot or not having the depth of the plot not stand out as much if there had been more of those fantastical moments and kind of interesting energy at different parts throughout the film 
as opposed to letting it be more dialogue and acting driven like it started to be. So um, I really liked Emma Stone. I'm still not the biggest fan of Ryan really? Gosling. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I thought he was fine, but it just, he, he, I really liked him in The Nice Guys. I did too. Okay. I really like him in that. I think when he's trying to do all true, like true comedy and true, like a character, I think he's pretty good. Here, he still seemed to be, I'm Ryan Gosling. And I'm playing Ryan Gosling that just huh. also happens to know how to play the piano and sing. Hmm. That, and that, that didn't work for me as much. Doesn't but work again, for that's you. That's probably more okay. of a personal thing for me. I'll, you know. Fair. And then I thought the middle dragged with losing some of the magic that they really built up in that first 20, 30 minutes. Um, I, I've, I'm personally, I'm just, I'm happy for this film because they committed to an idea. And I equate this, so may I roll with, when I say this, but I equate this to what we saw with the artist a few years ago. The artist came out, and I will say, I thought the artist was a, was a good film. Was it best picture? Eh, probably not. But it was a good film. And I liked it because they they chose a conceit. We're going to do a silent film, just like back in the nineteen thirties and forties, and we stuck to it. And they did it, and people loved it, and it won awards. You know, this one it's like, nope, we're going to do a musical. We do not have any films that come out these days where people just stop and breaking the song and dance. We're going to do that, and I'm really happy they committed to that concept. I wish it had been a full movie experience with that concept. Instead of where I felt like they were about fifty seventy five percent there, you know, but I think I think it's got the same kind of energy, and I, I've I've always got to applaud a film that's willing to do something a little daring and just sure. throw it out there and try it, you know. So, uh, yeah, glad it's made. Um, wish I would have liked it more, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's La La Land. It is nominated for quite a few awards: it best is. picture, best director, uh, best lead actress. Is Ryan Gosling for best lead actor? Uh, yes, he is. Okay, so you got both actor and actress. Yeah, director, uh, cinematography. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's up, and it's, it's got two songs, I believe, and yeah. an original song. So Absolutely, it's, it's covering all the major categories, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course, we'll talk about our predictions on the Oscars. Oh, yeah. our news section. Well, hold on, but to that. Uh, that is La La Land. I mean, I, I was joking with you the other day, Chris. That you know, it's, a, it's funny how a film like this that. When it first was announced, I mean, it's a pretty small little film, and I thought maybe it's going to be a very small independent production. Few people will know about it, but it won't be a big, big deal. I mean, it, Saturday Night Live is doing skits about people loving La La Land or the few people who don't and how they're being berated for it. <laughs> you know that at that point, that film has just crossed it's into made a whole it. other level oh, yeah. of consciousness in our society. Absolutely. So it's really interesting to see that. I personally can say I'm really happy for... Damien Chazelle to pull this off. Whiplash got a lot of attention and it got nominations and all, which is great. But this one is a whole nother commercial success now too. Right. So it's, uh, I'm excited to see what he'll do next. I, I, I think he's a talent and I'm happy to see, uh, see his future work. Yeah. It'll, it'll be, it'll be interesting. And, you know, we'll touch on this in the whole, uh, Oscar nomination news discussion as well. But you've mentioned that, you know, the blowback from people who don't like La La Land. So there's already like the backlash yes. and then the backlash to the backlash. Yeah. So it's, oh, yeah. it's kind of, I don't know. It's interesting. So. Yeah, no, definitely. There is a, there's definitely backlash. I've seen some people online that are the La La Land haters and, uh, they're getting berated left and right. I mean, so. I mean th- and I think this was something that kind of surprised me and maybe something that some of the haters have picked up on. I don't, I don't know. Um, 
something about, and there again, I guess it's because it's being referential to musicals and it's, it is kind of a throwback, even though it is taking place in modern day, you yes. know, it's obviously it's very modern day. They've got, you know, iPhones and all that kind of stuff. Um, but somehow it just seemed a little basically in the jazz musician part mm-hmm. and the club. And mm-hmm. when he would go, it felt very stereotypical and very paper thin about African-Americans and, mm-hmm. Um, they do have John Legend. He plays a little bit more of a fleshed out, like human person, but like kind of like, oh, we're going to a jazz club. So therefore it's like going to be this African-American jazz club. Yeah. And Emma Stone's going to be the one little white lady, like dancing around and thinking jazz is cool while he's up on stage. Like there was a little bit of like superficiality about that. That granted, I guess maybe if they're doing kind of a referential throwback, although you would have to be in the time period mm-hmm. of the forties or fifties or something like, you know, Somehow, like, something about that just felt a little, like, felt a little hollow to me. I didn't um, pick up on that, but that's interesting you said that. Like, I, I can look back and see how that could be seen that way. And it was, I guess, how they were portrayed. It's like, I, I don't know. It was just, I, I don't know. Something about it felt a little artificial. I okay. mean, it's a movie. It's supposed to be artificial. But it just, that kind of, that was another thing that kind of, like, nagged at me a little bit. But Interesting. Eh. All right, well. That is La La Land, and that's our feedback. I really liked it. Chris liked it. I thought it. it was okay. He thought it was fine. Fine. He gave the, the worst fine. word. He gave it's the, fine. The, the cinema review curse word of fine. Fine. So, uh, it is playing still lots of places. Uh, got a much wider release, after, especially after the award nominations. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll be discussing this film a little bit later in our news section. So, with that, let's go ahead and move on to our next film review which is an also highly nominated film that we'll be discussing during our new section, but let's go ahead and go through a review of it. It is the film Moonlight. Who is you, Sharon? I'm not trying not to remember. Try to forget all those times. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you're gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. You all tell him why the other boys kick his ass all the time. What's wrong? I'm good. No. I ain't seen good, and you ain't it. Remember the last time I saw you? Don't listen. To who, Ma? Huh? To you? Who is you, man? I ain't seen you in like a decade. It's not what I expected. What did you expect? So... With this movie, which is Barry Jenkins, it's his second film, but one of his, this is like the landmark film for him. So for most everybody out there, he's a new director, never really heard his name. The story is told basically in three parts, which you could say, okay, maybe this is a gimmick that he's doing this, Mm -hmm. but it tells the story of a young man growing up and from child, you know, like literally from childhood to adulthood in Florida in this really tough gang centered neighborhood 
coming from really tough circumstances and trying to escape it. So you, you hear kind of what this film's about and it, you know, it's told in three different phases of his life, preteen, teen, and then adult. Mm-hmm. Alan, would you think, you know, trying to separate this from things like boys in the hood or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, that have kind of told the gritty urban life of an African American person trying to grow up. How do you think this film separates itself from that? Um, and what did you find unique about this film that maybe you haven't seen before on screen? And did you like it? That's well, the first easy off, question. Yes, absolutely. I like this film. I will say what I think was probably the most interesting about it to answer your question is that it was the, a, a very real portrayal of someone going through some of the situations they are. Okay. It's not heightened. There's no Hollywood gloss to anything. Um, Yes, there are drug dealers, but they are humans. They have other emotions. They have parts of their personality that subverts our expectations of what Hollywood makes us believe. Okay, well, this person is a drug dealer, so drug dealers typically act this way and do these kind of things. And, you know, the fact that we get introduced to a drug dealer in the very first scene, and within 10 minutes you start to realize, "Um, okay, yeah, there's more to this guy than just than just even, being yeah. a drug dealer. And sure. When he turns out to be probably the most admirable person in the entire film, it's a, the whole film follows that same pattern of just subverting your expectations. I think of what you're expected to see in a film like this. Right. I know there's a lot of people, even some of our members of our film society heard the description <laughs> all that, and thought, Oh my gosh, it's going to be this ultra violent. It's all about gangs and drugs and uh, all that. It's not. No. I mean, it is actually a very grounded, very yes, there are tough situations, but they're not <laughs> they're not extraordinary circumstances. They're True. not things that we just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this kid went through this. Right. Yeah, this kid had a really had some rough he's got a mother that's a drug addict. He gets picked on a lot at school. He's dealing with his uh, emerging feelings, realizing he's a homosexual. Right. But I mean, a lot of kids will go through that. You know, they, these are fairly some somewhat common things in a lot of people's lives. Just the fact that they were able to capture this and ground it so much, but also subvert those expectations along the way where, you know, here's a guy who starts to dress as he becomes an adult, starts to look more like the typical, I'm a drug dealer and I'm tough and I've got this hard exterior, but you find out he's really just a super sensitive, very emotional kid at heart. Again, it's all those subverting of expectations. I think this film just did a wonderful job of doing that. And it was it was captivating. I mean, I just uh, – there's not much to a plot. No. You know, mm-hmm. that's the thing is that people can say, well, what all happens? Well, not a lot really. Sure. You know, but the fact that we're just capturing these moments at these three important critical phases and we feel like we just know this person. We know this, this, this character by the end of the movie and we know the people around me. I, I, think, I think it was great. I think it was really, really good. What about you, Chris? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I like the play. And um, a lot of it comes at it's, – it's interesting. Unlike La La Land, you know, we, mm-hmm. I'd heard a lot about La La Land and I went in with expectations. I'd heard a lot about this movie too, the fact that it was based on a play. And Barry Jenkins and then uh, McCraney, the guy who they kind of – Jenkins is the director and McCraney was like the writer of original play. But then they turned it into a screenplay and they made this movie version of it. Um, they both grew up in the same, like, I forget the name of the projects in yeah. Florida. It's like Liberty uh, something. It's Liberty yeah. Square or something yeah, like that. Something, yeah. I can't remember. But they, they both 
basically came from the same drug-addled, depressed area down in Florida. Mm -hmm. And so to know that coming in, that it's not like these are two people that are just Hollywoodizing what they think a story should be told. It was like, no, they were drawing on experiences from one or both of their childhoods. And that just, I don't know, it, it helped it to ring more true. But like you're saying, you just felt like, you felt like what you were watching was a documentary. It just felt very real and the way people, the conversations people would have Mm -hmm. that being said, this movie is almost two hours long. Mm -hmm. And to me, it never felt like I felt like it moved really, really quickly. Actually, it was disappointing to me when I realized we were taking a time jump (laughs) to the next phase. I'm like, Oh, wait, (laughs) that's it. That's all I'm going to know of eight year old, you know, little or, or the, uh, I guess 14 year old or, or whatever old he was. That was that was the disappointing for me part for me is like oh we're already skipping ahead right and then it's like you get to the third phase oh man we're already skipping ahead again so you get into the film you've got a fully formed character through three important phases in his life but um, I could have done with more actually so it was interesting well the three actors that they got to play the three different phases of um, Chiron's life you know the little boy I thought he was really oh, really good. good and you know you never know how much of that is is Barry Jenkins just really good as a director being able to get this performance out of the kid or is the kid just that good on his own? You don't know, but either way it was awesome to see on screen. And then they followed that up with kind of the middle or, you know, the teenage version of him. And he was, he was was really good. good. (laughs) Interestingly enough, when it gets to the final incarnation that we get to see of him, um, he's, you see this evolution where he is this toughened, Mm -hmm. you think kind of, you know, drug dealer. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was kind of like, huh. And I, I wasn't that impressed with him until he does get kind of a scene in a diner. And I was like, okay. Now see, And that's intentional. Right. You know, the thing is I, I almost heard an audible gasp from the audience when we cut to the third phase hmm. and we see him, he's kind of, you know, I hate using this phrase. He's kind of the, the, what you would see as typically pimped out. I mean, yeah. the big ride, the chains and other, yeah, he's got the, 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 uh, the grades on his teeth. I sure. Mean, and it's just your everybody in the audience is like, oh, you know, it's like <laughs> you didn't want him to be going that direction. And for the first 10 minutes that we see him, we're all like, yeah, do we really know who this kid is anymore? He seems so different. I tell you, there's a moment, though, where he gets a phone call from mm-hmm. his his childhood friend. And it's just I almost saw a light switch off on him where he just became that kid again while he got on the phone. Hmm. All of a sudden he was shy and not quite knowing what to say and just very much like the, the kid we've known for the first hour and hour of this film. Right. And that's what I love about it. It's like, okay, yeah. So even though he's felt like he's had to put on this hard exterior, he's still down deep, the same kid. Sure. And even his friend calls him on that. Hmm. We, t- we had a great conversation they have in his apartment at the end of the film. It's like, who are you? What are you trying to do? Right. And it's like, he's asking him the same question the audience is asking. It's like, you know, what's going on? And we really just kind of get to know this character even better at that point. So I I agree with you. I was a little disheartened when I saw that first part of the third phase thinking, oh, I don't like where this is going. But then it's like, oh, no, this is this is real. You know, this is what he's now felt like he's had to be. And somebody's calling him on it now. And it's very real. So uh, I just I I was really uh, very admirable film. Something that we've talked a little bit off air about, but. I wanted to be sure we I brought it up was the cinematography and their use of panning. Yeah. Um, they do it from the very, you talked about that very opening scene. 
you meet Juan, who's the kind of authority figure that the Chiron character, Chiron, ends up looking up to. But you see him out on the street. Yeah. And the camera's constantly swirling around and around and around, kind of like making you paranoid at first. And you're like, mm-hmm. what, is this going to be like a Cloverfield-type film? Am I going to get sick? You know, Because yeah. the camera's just constantly moving. But it kind of sets up like, you know, we're dropping you into an urban area, and it could be dangerous. You don't really – and it kind of unnerves you and puts you on edge. And they repeat that motif. There's a part where Sharon is about to get bullied, yeah. and they kind of start the camera swirling again right there. That shot was – Scary. Yes, it Just was. the way, yeah, the bully is circling the, the, the schoolyard to decide who he's going to get take care of next. Right. And the way he's pacing, they've almost got him like a panther walking through mm-hmm. the... the through the through the through the room and eyeing everybody, and the camera's just following in the circular motion. It's really intimidating. So, and then it was very subtle, but mm-hmm. they did bring it in a little bit when, at the end of the film, when he goes to meet his friend at a diner, they do a little bit of. It's not nowhere yeah. near as intense as it is in the early the diner. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They do sure. kind of a slow panning shot, and it's just kind of bring you back like he's not in his element anymore. He's up, but he's still trying to adapt and trying to figure mm-hmm. out how he's going to, yeah, I can see that, how he's going to act. Yeah. So I thought that was just really, really interesting. It is. See. It was some great, great choices there. I mean, it's not an overly directed film from the camera standpoint, but it does have those moments where they're obviously trying to create a sense, of, a certain sense of emotion around you that, that, that either echoes what the character's feeling or dropping you into some sort of environment to kind of get you acclimated quickly. Um, I, I just think, you know, the, the character himself, Chiron, Little, whatever names you want to call him. I mean, he, yeah, he goes by different names, goes by different, different names, phases. Different stages. Yeah. It was just a very well-developed character. I just feel yeah. like we know more about this kid, this character, through this hour and a half, two hours, than we do most movie characters we spend that time with. But I will tell you, even though as much as I like him, my favorite character still has to be, or in both acting and drawn-out character, is one. Okay. The, uh the initial drug dealer we met, the one who kind of befriends Little, sure. and um, actually becomes a little bit of a father figure to him in that first phase, played by uh, Marashala Ali, who I'm telling you right now, I'm just I'm really digging everything this guy's doing. He's uh, been in House of Cards, right? Really good in that. He's he was the uh, main bad guy in the Luke Cage Netflix series. Really good in that. Um, so yeah, I'm really liking this guy a lot, and hmm. he is so good in this film. Um, just there's a, there's a scene in that first portion, the young, uh, eight to nine year old portion. He, he has a dinner scene with one and with one's girlfriend. It's pretty amazing. That is just kills me. Uh, the dialogue and the way the two react to each other. Well, Um, and that's where those senses where, yeah, I guess I'll go out on a limb and say, the, that maybe that re, that little kid can really act because the way he said those lines and the way um, Juan reacts to the kid saying you know the Mahershala Ali like yeah it's just really well done like you can feel the tension you see yeah. his regret and yeah it's it's pretty amazing that dinner scene do you want to call out a couple other I mean I'll say acting top to bottom I thought was great oh, yeah. I, I don't think good. there was a bad performance in this movie anywhere um, one that's getting a lot of attention right now is Naomi Harris who plays Paula which is Little's mother. And uh, she's a drug addict, which we learn more about. And we see her progression through the three phases, just like we do with, with uh, Chiron's. And I think, I thought her, her progression was interesting too. Yeah. It was very pronounced. I mean, it was a, 
you know, a caring mother, but yet you knew she had a habit that was going to be causing some issues in the first part. Then it was pretty much a pretty bad situation in the middle part. And then by the end, there is some, some closure to that storyline to some degree. And I just thought that progression was handled really well too. She was really good. Janelle Monet, who, uh, you know, I've known as a singer. I like her music. Never seen her act before. This is the first time. I know she's in the the film Hidden Figures as yeah, well. Right. But uh she uh she was also really good as Teresa, which is Juan's girlfriend, who also befriended Chiron too. Um and then I try to remember who played Kevin uh as an adult. I don't remember all oh, him, yeah. But he was really good too. He so, was yeah. top to bottom again. I, I just think everybody in this film acted their tails off and just it was really, really well done. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed. I have not seen uh, Barry Jenkins' first film. I'm, yeah. We're gonna have to go back and check that out. But I look forward to see like what he's gonna do mm-hmm. next. So well, and and it was you know even though this was a very small independent film that without a lot of, a lot of star power to it, uh, you know Brad Pitt was a producer. It's one of those situations where you know, obviously there are some now Hollywood connections. So whether that means that Barry Jenkins can get to really call his shots on some future projects and has some some good funding and, and producers behind them to make it happen. I hope that's the case. Right. Um, Maybe so. You know, it can be a good sign to have some big names kind of sign on to be a producer for your film. They've got a lot of faith in it. And hopefully that helps propel him forward into another project as well. So overall, though, I thought, I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought it was a really, really good movie. And uh, I saw it twice in a row, two nights in a row, and was just as riveted the second time as the first time. So. Always a good sign. Absolutely. So that is Moonlight. It as well, nominated for a lot of awards. It is nominated for Best Picture. It is nominated for Best Director. I believe so. Uh, we've got Best yes. Supporting Actor with Mahershala Ali for one, correct? Yes. And Naomi supporting, Harris, yeah. Supporting mm-hmm. Actor. And then supporting, supporting Actress, Naomi Harris right. for Paula. Right. I think that's the main ones there as well. So, yeah. good. And then it gets other one like the score and cinematography and stuff like that. Sure, but yeah. right. Okay, so that's Moonlight. It is uh, probably a little harder to find than La La Land in your theaters, but uh, it is opening up a little bit more places now. So, I mean, it's playing right here in our good old town of Hickory. So that's this a is good true. sign that it may be playing a lot of other places. Since we are, mm-hmm. you know, in this season of movies with Oscar buzz, even though the founder didn't get the Oscar buzz, that maybe yeah. I want to. Alan, why don't you tell us you have seen the founder? I did see the founder. So the founder is the story of Ray Kroc. Gotcha. You may or may not recognize the name, but Ray Kroc, uh, and I'm going to say, quote, the founder of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Of course, the quote around the word founder is really the basis of the movie in the, in the long run. John Lee Hancock was the director. Uh, he was also the one responsible for The Blind Side. Okay. And I believe he also did uh, Saving Mr. Banks, which uh, huh. I never saw. Did I did see, see that? that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen either of those two films. Huh. But you I haven't seen either you, one. No, but I could pretty much tell you I know the tone of those films. Ah, okay. And uh, let me hold off on my criticism of the founder for a second. I will. I will uh, talk about some of his virtues. First off, you like McDonald's. Ah, uh, I will eat McDonald's. Okay. I mean, it's hard to say I like McDonald's. <laughs> I don't seek out McDonald's. Sure, but I'm okay with McDonald's, and I I am more admirable of McDonald's for what has become the consistency. And the style of the restaurant has become. Now, Got you. That's the parts of the film I thought were really interesting. Okay. The story of McDonald's is a really interesting story. And this film does capture that entire story. We have two brothers who uh, are played by Nick Offerman 
and John Carroll Lynch. They play Dick and Mac McDonald. Okay. Their storyline is really interesting because it is, you know, I've read enough about it. This is truly the story of how the McDonald's franchise started. Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc, and he is a salesperson who comes into contact with the McDonald's brothers, is fascinated by their operation, and convinces them to let him go out and sell franchises. They have no interest in managing franchises. They just want to manage their one store. But they like the idea of their brand of restaurants being at other places. Well, one of the brothers does. The other one just wants to support his brother, so they agree to do it. But like many business deals, there's some complications. There's some frustrations. <laughs> there's some uh, you know, hidden agendas behind things. And right. over time, we basically see a, a falling apart of this relationship between the brothers and Ray Kroc, which ultimately leads to now Ray Kroc being generally considered the founder of McDonald's, which... Obviously, it's not true. Mm-hmm. So what we have is a film that we have the main character that we're not supposed to be necessarily sympathetic with. The movie tries really hard to keep us balanced on liking or not liking Ray Kroc. Okay. It does a fair job of saying, hey, listen, this guy has some ver- has some positive qualities. This guy was very de- de- determined. He was very passionate. Maybe the brothers were actually being a little uh, hard to work with, causing him to go in a different direction. Maybe that all happened that way. Hmm. It did a fair job of giving us some balance to the sides. At the end of the day, though, I mean, it's still pretty much painting Ray Kroc as somebody who stole something. Gotcha. Um, I thought Michael Keaton was okay. Hmm. I didn't think he was great. Um, his his personality seemed to fluctuate a little bit throughout the film. Sometimes he was channeling a very subdued Beetlejuice. <laughs> like a southern subdued Beetlejuice. Okay. Other times he was just being Michael Keaton. And it just it wasn't the most consistent tone of performance throughout the film. So I, sometimes that pulled me out of it a little bit. Hmm. I thought Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch as the two McDonald's brothers were really good. And again, okay. their whole part of the story I thought was probably the best part of the film. There's some really great montages kind of showing them building their first restaurant and some of the situations they ran, ran into that I thought were really well done. Overall, it's just the film The film played it probably a little too safe. Mm. It did fall into the standard biopic trappings. And there were some moments that were just a little too over-the-top cliche. Just, wow. Okay. You know, I mean, just Ray Kroc pulling up to one of the McDonald's, first McDonald's stores that has the big golden arches. And just the way it was shot and just made to be so over-the-top dramatic. And it had moments like that throughout the film that I thought were just didn't really... It, they could have played this so much more straight at times, but okay. they went for a little more sensationalism and over dramatic moments when they didn't need to. Okay. So, um, Laura Dern plays Ethel Croc, Ray Croc's wife, totally underused, totally wasted part, which is always a shame. I don't even know why do you get a big actress to play a part when she doesn't even leave the house. I mean, I think she's <laughs> like in four or five scenes and she huh. has a few lines in each and that's it. Okay. I would always prefer let's bring in some new actress we've never seen without any preconceived notions about her and do that. Um, B.J. Novak from yeah, The Office, from the and, office. And Glorious sure. Bastards and all plays uh, someone who enters uh, the, the picture really late to help Ray Kroc out with this situation. Linda Cardellini uh, plays Joan Smith, who, spoiler alert, becomes Joan Kroc uh, later in life. But again, if you've read anything about this person, you know that. How he meets her. Also does not make you like the guy very much. So the film played it probably a little too safe. Okay. Um, I didn't think Keaton's performance was great, which I was really looking forward to see him play this part. 
But the story itself is really interesting. It's about time they made a film of this because I think it was a well-worth topic to make a film about. Sure. And I think it did a serviceable job of playing both sides. I just I think it could have been. Maybe, maybe it would have been a better film if they would have made it poly, polished, or not polished off, but left some of the rough edges and had it come down on one side or the other? Or no, I was okay. Did they make it be sides. too nice? I, I just okay. think it just... It just yeah, it was probably just the cliche moments and the over-the-top moments that just made it seem more Hollywoodized than I guess I would have liked to have seen the story be. Okay. So, overall, it was a good film. And if you have any interest in business, f- films about business, you like films, of, uh, you're interested in the story in general, you like Michael Keaton, yeah, go see it. It's, it's a definitely a worthwhile movie to go see. But I can see why they probably pushed it a little further back and missed the award season. I don't think it would have been... And the contention with it anyway. So Okay. All right. Interesting. So you've got a film uh, that you uh, saw and want to review as well, Fences, which has been nominated for quite a few things. Can you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on Fences? Yeah. Fences, uh, it it was kind of a passion project for Denzel Washington. Uh, He was in the play written by August Wilson and uh, Viola Davis, who is also was in the play, but is also in this uh, movie version both of them returned, kind of a passion project for Denzel Washington. He'd been working on it for a long time, like maybe 20 years or so. Uh, he also directs this film, which is the second film that he's directed. I can't even remember the first he one. He did The did. Great Debaters. There you go. Yep. Okay. Never saw it. Fountain of Knowledge. <laughs> Never saw it. But uh, this is his second film that he's directed. And, um, you know... It, he got nominated for Best Actor for a leading role for this. And I'll agree, he gives, you know, Dizzle Washington always gives a good performance, mm-hmm. and sometimes he gives a great performance. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those that it's a great performance. Okay. It's a right. Daniel Day Lewis and, you know, There Will Be Blood type performance. It's wow. a big performance. Sure. Um, it's a very emotional performance at times. Um, Do you think it was helped by the fact that he played this part on stage? I, I mean, don't. I don't see how it couldn't be. Yeah. Um, I think he's just very familiar with how to give this role. So you know, he's how not to like give a typical actor that may be spending six months knowing this character. He spent years right. knowing this character. Like if you didn't know anybody, you'd say, "Okay, this is the only role Denzel Washington's ever played," oh, wow. and like okay. he's done it so long on Broadway, and now he's like, you know, he's getting to do it on film. But he's it's just so for lack of a better term, lived in. Yeah. Um, I feel like he and Viola Davis are both the same way. Like they just give these really powerful performances and you're like, yeah, you can tell these people have acted opposite one another in these same roles. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, need no rehearsal time. <laughs> just yeah. Let's just do it. Um, so the strength of the performance is really strong. Um, I will say there again, you know, we've talked about Moonlight, La La Land for this film. I just liked it. Okay. Okay. And the reason behind it is um, I felt like, and this is, you know, apparently I'm jumping on the bandwagon here. Uh, a lot of people's criticism is that it feels like a play. Hmm. This film does. And I, you know, I've never really paid much attention to that criticism before. Yeah. But with this film, I definitely jump on the bandwagon with it. It was two hours and 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, wow. The acting was good, but a lot of it is just dialogue between people having, you know, domestic arguments or just, you know, making really strong statements. And it's it's a lot of talking. There's not a lot of action. And I don't know, it felt very stagey. And, Mm. you know, it's when you put on dialogue from a play, like Glengarry Glenn Ross, that was a lot of dialogue. But 
the way they shot it, the cuts they used, it was more dynamic. Yeah, it, it, it did not come across as a stage play. Glenn Gary, right. Glenn Gary and Glenn Ross did not. Even though it was basically, I mean, it's all a talk, it's all talking easily done on stage. Right. So, so, so it's, how, yeah. I, I admire the performances. I thought it was good, but, and maybe it comes from, this is only his second film and he just wasn't able to translate energy in the performance into the camera to make it more mm. dynamic, to make it more moving. Or maybe he wasn't willing to change some things yeah. to make it more, it was, you know, to sum it up, it was very dramatic, but not cinematic. Okay. That's the problem. So interesting. Well, I mean, it, it poses an interesting question to me. How do we evaluate a film that is stagey? I mean, it is, sure. it is basically just consisting of people talking mm-hmm. and people on a, in a set piece and there are a limited number of set locations and they're talking. Yeah. I mean, basically yeah. it was inside his house and the backyard yeah. and that's basically, yeah. So it's very limited location wise too. Yeah. So, okay. well, I, I think for some people that it may resonate better because I think there are some people that probably just want to focus on the story and the acting. Yeah, sure. And I think if you're looking at this to say, I want a little bit more from my theater theater experience, I want to see more creativity with the camera creativity, then it sounds like you're not going to get that here. So it's right. it's pretty static from that standpoint. But you're saying the acting was really good. Yeah. Okay. And let me, let me briefly, because I didn't even, I kind of glossed over this. The story is about a working class African-American father who's trying to raise his family in like the 1950s. And he has had disappointments in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, He wanted to be a big baseball player. Didn't didn't end up working out for him. His son is coming up and he looks like he might be a big football prospect. So there's some jealousy. The the father's being supportive. Not well, (laughs) he... He loves his son, but or there's this whole conversation in the backyard about does he love him or does he just provide for him? And there's all this pent up aggression and everything. And it's very interesting. It's a lot of family dynamics. It's very kind of tough to watch. Um, So good. Yeah, good for acting. But just somehow in the overall delivery of it didn't make for a very dynamic movie. But it's it's good acting. So, yeah, I would encourage people if they're going to see good performances and stuff yeah go for it but don't expect i don't know expect don't expect a dynamic movie i guess that's okay. what i'm saying fair enough fair enough so that is the four films we've reviewed then so it's a lot four, <laughs> yep there are ones that you can check out in different phases of release but um three of the four are ones that we'll be mentioning here in a moment as we talk about the oscar nominations that were just released earlier this week so With that, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the Oscar nominations. Chris and I are going to kind of go through them, kind of give you quick notes on our thoughts on them, and then we will end up the show with our recommendation of the episode. Stay tuned. This is Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, Sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on themesh.tv. As a quick reminder, you are listening to this podcast on themesh.tv 
website or through your podcast player or wherever you may have gotten it. The key to this whole thing is that this is what we call a podcast, which means, yes, it's an audio program, kind of like a radio program you can listen to. The difference is, is that you can actually subscribe to it. Imagine a DVR for your internet web player or, or internet radio. The idea is you decide what shows you want to subscribe to. By subscribing to a show, you make sure that every new episode of that show is delivered to you. Not hand-delivered. Chris and I haven't figured out how to get hand-delivered to all of our listeners. But you do get it downloaded to your, your, your device of choice. So, for example, if you have an iPhone with a, the podcast app, you can subscribe to the show. And then that way, every time we put out a new episode, you open up your podcast apps. Voila, it's there waiting for you. Already downloaded. You listen to it at your leisure. It's a way of making sure you don't miss anything as you go forward and you're always getting pushed the new episodes we put out. The Mesh.TV is a website that showcases all of the shows on the Mesh network. There's a variety from sports to education to business and to, of course, film. So you can go and listen to any of them on demand at the website or go onto our site on iTunes. Look for The Mesh and you can find all of our shows in one place easy to find as well. So we appreciate you listening to the show. We appreciate you listening to this podcast. And please go out and check out the mesh.tv website to see all the other offerings we have. So, Chris, let's get back to our show here for Candle Films. We did okay. our four reviews of films earlier. Now let's shift over and talking about news. The big news right now, the only news we're really going to talk about, Oscar nominations. Yes. So the Academy Awards, of course, for film it's the big event. It's the Super Bowl. Yeah. It is coming up in late February, but about a month in advance, they will release the nominations of uh, people who are up for these awards. So we have the list of nominations in front of us. Um, we have gone through them ourselves. We're going to talk about some of these categories. We'll self-admit there's some of these categories we have not seen the films for. Sure. So we will skip through some of those categories that just don't relate to us, or maybe we just don't have enough knowledge or information to share. But we will cover about half the nomination topics here. So Chris, let's go ahead and start talking about, I'm looking at the kind of through our list here, let's go ahead and focus on writing first. Okay. So there's two categories that are always in the Oscar nominations. You have writing from an original screenplay, meaning obviously it's an original story that was made for the film. Or you have writing from an adapted screenplay, meaning it's based off of some other work, a play, uh, a, a book, whatever it may be. So the nominations for writing original screenplay, Hell or High Water, which I know you're a big fan of this movie. Yes. So I'm sure you're very happy to see that they're I, being I popped am. up a few places throughout the list here. La La Land, which we talked about earlier. The Lobster. Is this the only... Mention of the lobster on this list. It today. is. Oh. Yeah. Well, of course, you, Chris and I both really love the lobster, but at least to see it at least mentioned one time on this list was really nice. Manchester by the Sea and then 20th Century Women. So interesting film selections here. I think the lobster making it on was interesting, but probably well-deserved. I thought it was a well-written film. La La Land, uh, I would not give the writing award to, personally. I'll be self-admitted with that as much as I did like La La Land. I don't think writing was its strongest suit on a screenplay side of things. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, those are the only two I have seen. You have seen Hell or High Water. Right. But I think we're both out on Manchester by the Sea and 20th Century Women, correct? Uh, we are, yeah. Do you have a prediction on where you think this is going to go based on our somewhat limited knowledge so far? Uh, you know, having seen three of them, I, I feel like this is going to be one of those years. 
Meaning, I feel like La La Land, spoiler, is going to run away with a lot of stuff. Hmm. Um, I, I think La La Land will probably take it. Okay, well, that's one but award. But I haven't seen Manchester by the Sea. But, you know, based on what I know, you know. That's I, one award I would not, I don't want to see La La Land win. Oh, I don't either. Yeah. I mean, so. if I'm saying what, I'd, I'd say the lobster. Yeah. But, you know. As far as what we want to have win. I, right. I think it's going to be Manchester by the Sea, even though I have okay. not seen it. Everything I've heard is that that movie really is, it's it's the writing and the acting that really sets that movie apart. Okay. So I'm going to kind of go on that that assumption that that's going to be the one where they go. Okay. Now we've got adapted screenplay, meaning adapted from some other work. We've got Arrival, which is based on a short story, my understanding. Fences, obviously based on the play we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Hidden Figures, I don't know what that's based on. Maybe uh, probably a biography or a novel of some sort. Lion. And then Moonlight. We also talked about Moonlight being based on a play as well. So Arrival, Fences, Hidden Figures, Lion, and Moonlight. I like seeing Arrival on the list. We had a good time with that film. We did. I did think that was a well-written film, a well-written science fiction film. Fences, you know, you've got some firsthand experience with that. And then, of course, we both have seen Moonlight. But Hidden Figures and Lion, we have still not caught up with yet. Any uh, thoughts on where this one's going to go? You know, I want to say Moonlight. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of times, of course, I didn't go with this with La La Land and original screenplay, but I feel like a lot of times in the writing, that's where the little guys get a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's where, like, if they didn't get nominated anywhere else, they can kind of steal one away from the other picture that's winning, like, nine Oscars. You know, mm-hmm. it's like they'll give it to somebody else. Um, I feel like Moonlight stands a chance of, of getting this one. Okay. So. And I'm with you on that. Actually, that was going to be my pick as well. I, okay. think, uh, I think to take a play and to take these diverse stories from the director and the original playwriter, to put it together and to just write a really, I think, a well-written film. Uh, great dialogue, great acting, but also just the way it was broken into the three parts and the way mm-hmm. the segments worked. For it. That was all writing, and I thought that was really well done. So, Great. Uh, let's skip on to music, original song. Okay. That's okay with you. Absolutely. Uh, we have two two songs from La La Land, Audition, The, F- the Fools Who Dream, and City of Stars. We have one from the f- film Trolls, which is Can't Stop the, S- the Feeling. Mm. We have from Jim, the James Foley story, which I'll admit, I know nothing about. I know nothing about that as well. But it's a song called The Empty Chair. And then uh, from Moana, the Disney film, How Far I'll Go. So, Chris, well, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, this song, usually like one jumps out at you and you're like, oh, that's the one that's totally going to run away with it. And it's usually you know, like the song from the Disney movie. However, La La Land being a musical, you know, you got to go off the strength of your songs. I felt like they were oh, OK. But the one that if I had to pick a La La Land song to win, the one that I would want to win would be Audition. Yeah. Because I feel like it's a much stronger song and carries a lot more mm-hmm. weight of the themes of the film and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. You always hear that sometimes when two things are nominated from the same thing, they cancel each other out. Right. Um, and if that's the case, then I think How Far I'll Go from Moana will do Well, it. How Far so. I'll Go, was that the one written, um, co-written um, by... Um, yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy yeah. from Hamilton. Yeah. So obviously was, that's got a little bit of weight behind it as well. Right. And, it, and it's a good song. Um I personally so, think it's going to be yeah. City of Stars. 
Oh, yeah. Even though I was also with you a little underwhelmed by that song, everybody I've talked to who's seen the movie has mentioned that song. Ah. So I just think it's got... It's in the trailer. It's in the zeitgeist right now. I think people are just talking about it. And I think when you think about original songs from La La Land, people are kind of gravitating to that song right now. So I think that's going to be the one to win. Well, and, you know, of course, it's it's the happier. Yes. You know, it's it's lighter. You know, people like to hum it, whereas Audition's kind of heavy. and sure. Yeah, so... Yeah. So that's the okay. uh, best song. So you think City of Stars is going to take I think that? so, yeah. Okay. I agree with you. I think Audition, I like Audition better, but I think City of Stars will be the one to win. And, you know, here's the thing. We, nev- we never reviewed Moana, did we? No, on I the never show. saw it. I saw it, and uh, I thought it was good. The songs are really good. Okay. And um, I have to say, it's, for me, it's like a return to a Disney musical as good as the ones of old. I say old. Like Aladdin, but Lion Aladdin, King, Little Mermaid, kind of Lion King. 90s. Yes, it's a return to that good. Like Great. the song. It's not just like you have one song. There were several songs. Like I was actually, there, you know, four or five songs that are just as good as the one they stuck on here. Yeah, and nice. I actually like better than the one that's on okay. here. So yeah, Moana is a good film. So Great. Yeah. Now Disney's, Disney's hitting a stride. I mean, they I think are. ever since they, um, got into the frozen category and now it's just <laughs> yeah they're actually outperforming pixar which is really interesting, interesting. In pixar division you know finding dory well we'll get to animated film in a moment finding dory the second biggest grossing film of the year and the second highest pixar grossing film ever mm-hmm. and didn't get nominated for best animated film so interesting times for disney and pixar right now yeah hmm. foreign language film um unfortunately i've only seen one of these and Same i only here. know of two of them so this is going to be over the next 30 days, my mission to try to see. Try these. to get as many yeah. of them as possible. We have Land of Mine. Unfortunately, I don't even know which country these are from. Um, <sighs> Land of Mine, A Man Called Ove, which is one that we did review a couple mm-hmm. episodes ago. And uh, we were both pretty high on and liked the film a lot. The Salesman, Tana, and then Tony Erdman. Tony Erdman, I've heard of. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm anxious to see. Me too. But I don't know anything about the other three. So... All I can say at this is I'm happy to see A Man Called Ove was nominated because yeah, I do yeah. think it's a worthy film. And I think uh, I think I said from my review, I liked it a lot, but I, I really loved all the flashback moments. Mm-hmm. All the acted scenes in the flashback periods were extremely well done. So uh, I'm happy to see that one got nominated. But yes, I do need to catch up on the other ones over the next, I have about 30 days, right? Yeah. Okay. The, the, the time is clicking. February twenty sixth. That's your that's All your right. day. You Got do it thirty days. Now. All right. Let's move on to documentary feature. So this is an interesting category. I'm always I'm always I'm a big documentary fan. I'm always really interested in where this is going. This was really interesting for me this year. And how many of these have you seen, Alan? I've seen none. <laughs> and that's what's disappointing about it, because I've seen some good documentaries oh, yeah. that were not nominated, and we've reviewed some on the show. Yes. Yeah, most notably. Tower. That's probably my biggest disappointment. The Tower did not get nominated for Best Documentary. I knew it was going to be a long a stretch for it to win Best Documentary, but I at least thought it would get nominated. Mm-hmm. Just because it is a very inventive documentary, trying some new things, and it's telling a very harrowing tale, but yet with a somewhat uplifting ending that I think just worked for a lot of audiences. Right. So very disappointed to see the Tower was not nominated. The ones that were nominated, Fire at Sea. I Am Not Your Negro, Life Animated, O.J. Made in America. Let's talk about that one in a moment. 
Okay. And then 13th, which is the one that went straight to Netflix. Correct. Uh, Anna um, DuVernay. DuVernay mm-hmm. actually handled that one. And, and she uh, made Selma. And this yep. is, yeah. So a Netflix documentary in the list, which is interesting. An ESPN documentary in the list with OJ Made in America. Mm-hmm. Even more interesting about OJ Made in America. It is how many oh, hours long? Dude. Um, I mean, at least 10, right? Eight to 10 hours? It's something like that. I, I it's have, a series. I have seen it. And it, it, was, is, it was released as a series yeah. through ESPN, right? But they have now treated it as one complete one documentary, huge long movie. It's at least seven hours, I think. So here's the begs me the question: Sure, this model has now been broken. The idea that a documentary or feature has to be a certain one-time viewing situation. I've never seen a series nominated as a complete work. Mm-hmm. But yet we have nowadays a lot of these documentary-based series out there. Uh, uh, Making a Murderer was one that was on Netflix last year that was got a lot of acclaim and got a lot of attention. I mean, is that now our standard that you know it doesn't matter how long or how episodic something is, you can stitch it together and it becomes one complete work for for awards. Hmm. What about you know Netflix is doing tons of dramatic series that are like thirteen episodes long. Could those be considered a film? I don't, I don't know. I, I will say, yeah, I, I think they did have, I guess, at some festivals, they released OJ Made in America so that you could watch it in like two segments uh, or something like that. Yeah. So you could watch like a four hour segment. And then, mm-hmm. I don't know how you could sit through that. But um, I am surprised, really, really surprised that they nominated this just because of it is kind of breaking a mold. And that's something mm-hmm. that Oscar doesn't seem to really want to do. But it is just so... I don't think they could not nominate okay. it because it's so well made and it says so much and it it's not just though here's some information about OJ Simpson. Yeah. It's about racial tensions. It's about so much more and it's so well done. I feel like they had to nominate it. Will they let it <laughs> win? Yeah. I don't know. I don't I just, know. I'm fascinated from a mechanics standpoint right. of this. Right. Where does this draw the line now? If yeah. I did a dramatic series with 13 episodes and it went to Netflix. So if you had a really good season of House of Cards, could that just be a film? See, but then I can say the question is, okay, well, if the fact that it's going for seasons and it's a right. long going right. continuing storyline, right. does that all of a sudden invalidate it from being a movie or a feature that could well, be Well, they have a definite start and stop date. OJ, OJ Made in America is like, it's yeah. going to be this thing. But you okay. know, Making a Murder on Netflix did as well. And there's been other documentary style series. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, now they all in contention. You know, it doesn't matter if it's episodic or broken into smaller parts. Anyway, I just think it's really interesting. I'm very fascinated mm-hmm. to know if what's going to evolve. Because I, I also believe we're at a very high period of time for TV right now. So many series going to Netflix and Amazon and other places are really good, hmm. rivaling the quality of movies coming out. So is this a way we're going to start to see this blend a little bit that they're just wanting to reward motion pictures regardless of the format? doesn't hmm. matter if it's one uh, 90, 120-minute feature or if it's stitched together from 10 episodes, it's treated as a singular work. I, I'm just really this, – this could be really – critical for how the Oscars go forward in the years to come. This, yeah. this one nomination. So. I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, 13th. Um, I, I've actually, I saw both OJ and 13th and liked them both. Um, Netflix had a couple other documentaries that I was surprised mm-hmm. that they, they, it's like, 
I wonder if in the process somehow it's like they chose one Netflix documentary and not yeah. another because there was Amanda Knox. There was right. one called The Witness. There's some others that are like kind of went to Netflix immediately, kind of almost like they were exclusive. And I'm wondering mm. if they just picked one of them to be the one that was going to be. I don't know. I, I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb and say I'm guessing – I'm going to guess that I Am Not Your Negro will be the one to win. I've just heard because a lot I've of been hearing a lot of buzz about, about that, that film. Yeah. And even though OJ Made in America may be worthy of winning, I think there's going to be a barrier to people who actually are watching all the films. Something about the length of it and it not being a traditional standard document could stand as is an going impediment. to keep some people yeah. from giving it the the vote. So I think I am not your Negro is the most recently released too, and it didn't it just? I mean, it's probably been at festivals, but I think it just started hitting some bigger cities being yeah, released recently. Exactly. So, but yeah, I've heard a lot of buzz about that. I have to, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to make my guess, even though I'm unfortunately I have not seen it, but gotcha. that is one I'm going to guess is could be the one to walk away with it. All right. So now let's go into some, uh, some big topics here. So directing. Yeah, we have directing, we have arrival, which is Dennis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. <laughs> I'll let you handle that one. Sure. Which very happy to see. I'm, you know, a lot of times I say how sad I am. That's like all the movies that I like didn't get any Oscar nominations. So I talk about a bunch of movies and guess which ones when I don't really have like a horse in the race. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised to see yeah. Arrival there. Well, I've so, got a lot of, a lot of yeah. attention. We'll, we'll be mentioning it another time here in a little bit. It's crazy. Hacksaw Ridge, Mel Gibson. So Mel Gibson back in the... Uh, Back in the Academy picture after taking a little hiatus for a while. Yeah. Um, he is now nominated for directing for Hacksaw Ridge. And we have La La Land, which was uh, Damien Chazelle, we already mentioned. Manchester by the Sea, which is uh, Longhorn? Uh, Longhorn? Lonergan. Lon- Kenneth Lonergan. Lonergan. There you go. Um, and then we have Moonlight. Barry Jenkins, we already mentioned as well. Really interesting to see Arrival on there, but I'm very happy. I do think it was an extremely well-directed film. Mm-hmm. Hacksaw Ridge, I've not seen. Can you know, I attest to it? Here's the thing. I haven't either. Yeah. Um, from buzz that I'd heard, it seems very dismissive. But like I say, I haven't seen it. It's, it was an okay movie. Yeah. And it just seems like the directing was... mediocre. Yeah, and it wasn't that it was directed poorly. It's just there wasn't anything that stood out of it. So when I saw that, Hacksaw Ridge there, I was kind of like, really? You know, that that kind of... That, that really yeah. surprised me. And we're going to be mentioning it a couple more times, too. Which, I, is which also surprises yeah. me. Yeah. That's probably my biggest surprise. I think Arrival was my biggest... Pleasant ha- surprise. Pleasant surprise. Right. Hacksaw Ridge being so nominated was my interesting surprise. Right. Not expected. Not that you're saying it's bad. It's just kind of like, Well, huh. I, can't, I can't. I haven't seen right. it, so Neither I can't attest to it. But yeah. just knowing that it got as many high-level nominations as it did, based on the reviews I saw and the feedback I saw, was really surprising. I agreed. Yeah. Agreed. La La Land, we knew was going to be on there. Absolutely. Manchester by the Sea, we knew was going to be on there. Moonlight, we knew was going to be on there. Those three were the three I was saying three months ago. And, Those are going to be the big three. And, and I think, um, I think Damien Chazelle is going to win it. I think you're um, probably right. I, and I'm okay with that because I do think directing was, we haven't seen Manchester yet. I do but, think directing was the aspect of the film that I was the most impressed with, sure. you know? So just the putting the production of the film and choreography and making it work and making the, the style work. That's, that's a director. So I'm happy with that. If he wins. I am. What about you? You think that's going to be it? Uh, yeah, I think La Land yeah. will win, probably. Uh, I agree. I think this may be kind of the start of some of the landslide. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Cinematography. 
we have almost exactly, well, no, three of the five same names. Arrival, also on cinematography, which again, nice surprise. Yeah. La La Land, somewhat expected. Lion. Lion uh, was one that, you know, you and I have not really spoken about. I don't think it's even been mentioned in our podcast at all. Mm-hmm. It's really one that's just kind of snuck in there, and all of a, all of a sudden it's getting all this uh, attention. Uh, so I'm, I, I have not seen it. I haven't either. Uh, Moonlight, once again. And then Silence, the only nomination right. for Silence, the Martin right. Scorsese Martin Scorsese, film. we hardly knew ye. Yeah. yeah. And that one... Uh, I think that just that just didn't hit a lot of critics' buttons when it came out. And, and again, uh, it's kind of like I think a lot of them give the stamp that I gave to La La Land. They mm-hmm. just said it was fine. Yeah, they weren't. You know, they didn't say it was bad. They didn't say they just like right. well, okay. So cinematography. I mean, I, I grant I've only seen the trailers and production stills. It does look like a beautiful film, but um, we haven't had a chance to see it. It hasn't shown up anywhere near us. Hasn't really kind of hit our radar yet. So. Really, really odd. The latest Martin Scorsese film, and to go from was it was it Wolf of Wall Street was his last one? I think so. It it showed up at the lo- local multiplex, but it was there for like a week. Did it? Yeah, I totally missed it. Yeah, man. Well, to go from Wolf of Wall Street to right. an extremely religious uh, theme movie, it was quite it's a pretty, quite an yeah. adjustment there. So yeah. So cinematography, who's going to win this? I I think La La Land, spoiler, maybe Moonlight, but I think La La Land. I think Moonlight would be a great surprise. You're right. But La La Land, I think, is going to win this one. Okay. Yeah, not enough people have seen Lion, so that's a a no-go. So We have animated feature film. This is where I I mentioned already, no Pixar movie. Finding Dory was a sequel, and generally the Pixar sequels have not been ones that have been nominated, other than the Toy Story ones. Toy Story ones, right. Um, But we have Kubo and the Two Strings. We have Moana, the Disney film. My Life is a Zucchini. Never heard of it. <laughs> Just fun to say. Yeah. The Red yeah. Turtle. I have not heard of that one either. Mm-mm. And then Zootopia, the other Disney film. And Alan, how many of these have you seen? <laughs> None of them. See, I've my, been skipping out on animated my, films. My kids, my kids still actively like to go see animated my movies. My kids are beyond the animated films now. So, so. I have seen three of the five. Okay. Of these. So you saw Zootopia? You saw Kubo and you saw Mo- Mo- Moana. Correct. And what's your choice on who do you think is going to win? Because it will be one of those three. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I, you know, we've got two Disney ones. We've got Moana and Zootopia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they would probably go with Moana over Zootopia just because it's not only a good movie, but it has all the music behind it too. You know, if you have a, it's a, a, a movie, movie, right. It's a grander movie because not only is it funny and everything that Zootopia is as well, but it also has the music yeah, pushing it. So, but the problem comes in mm-hmm. the little, you know, the little child that could is the Kubo and the two strings. It's mm-hmm. an interesting yeah. that, you know, they've got a lot of visuals. They've got a lot of, the production that they put into it, like it's really, they did some really creative, cool stuff. Um, so I could see how that could maybe sneak in there, mm. but I think it's probably going to be, uh, I think it'll probably be. Well, Moana, Moana is my, my selection. That's who I think is okay. going to get it. Just, it's got the, uh, the, the, uh, the Hamilton connection behind it. Right. It's got the music. It came out later in the year. Zootopia True. came out really early. Really early, in the year. yeah. Which we'll mention. That's a problem with another film that we're going to yeah, talk about. I just think in bit. general that Moana is going to going to take this one. So. Right. Actually, we're not. So I'll go ahead and mention it because we skipped yeah. we skipped over the one category that poor Hail Caesar was uh, oh. actually even nominated was for. That was production design. design. Yeah. Poor Hail Caesar. Man. 
It's it's suffering the Zootopia problem. Yeah. Is there and you know if Michael um, what's his face the guy from the founder Keaton Blake but yeah Michael Keaton had he been amazing in the founder yeah it wouldn't have mattered because next February or next January nope. nobody would have remembered well, that that's why they hold films <laughs> right. that they don't think are going to get Oscar buzz until later after the which year, that's so. what I think is such a shame with Hail Caesar yeah it came so out way too early. good too early. Yeah, and it's it just didn't connect with the audience either as much. Although I've seen it a couple times now, it's on HBO now, so oh. I've gotten to watch some of the scenes over again and show the family some of the scenes. Oh, and man. I will say this about Hell Caesar: I think some of the scenes in Hell Caesar are some of the best Cohen brother scenes in quite a while. I I think some of the scenes in Hell Caesar are some of the best Cohen brother scenes. Period. Ever, okay. Yeah, ever. I, I think they're yeah. close on that. There's like three scenes in particular I could I could list off and say, yep, no dames, classic. no dames. Come on. <laughs> the uh, word to word to word to oh, so simple. Yes. And then yeah. the uh, the discussion about the depiction of Jesus. <laughs> if you boil it all down, <laughs> Alan. If you John, boil yeah. it all yeah. down, that's the Coen Brothers' career yeah. in one movie. Yep. You have discussion of religion and putting it in this movie and making light of it. Okay, that's Coen Brothers. Yep. Then you have the Oh Brother Where Art Thou with like musical songs, and yep. you have that in No Dames. And then you have what was the other one you pointed just out? The, the, uh, oh, the two tours are simple, like making how fun of how somebody speaks. Just, that's yeah. like Fargo. Like that's their career yeah. in one. Those movie. three scenes were just I could watch those three scenes over. Yeah. And, over again, and so. I'm, here's the thing: yeah. I just wanted them to be. We'll get to this in a second. Best. I just wanted a best picture nomination. No way it's going to win. But I just wanted them to be thrown a bone. My, only, my only issue with Hell Caesar, I just don't feel like it was a great complete film. You know, there were so many ups and mo- down moments of yeah, it. Yeah, I see that. Just some them. great scenes stitched together with some, eh, you know, not so interesting moments. I think if it had just been a little more of a complete film, I think it would have it would have racked up a few more and been released later in the year. Right. I do agree that the February release. Yeah, everybody forgets. And like Aldenreich, who's not not even a nomination for best supporting oh, actor. That's shame. I love his performance in that film. So, right. so great. Shame. All right. Uh, let's move on to uh, the acting. So okay. actors, actress in a supporting role. I think, Chris, this is probably the most interesting category. It's, it's, it's kind of a tough one. It is a tough one. And yeah. I think there's probably three of these actresses that could run, could take this one very easily at this point. We have Viola Davis for Fences. Strong. Yep. Naomi Harris for Moonlight. Also strong. very strong. Yep. Nicole Kidman for Lion. I think that one, I don't think that's going to happen. I doubt it. I mean, again, I haven't seen Lion, but I'm just saying there's well, no buzz around it. You and I haven't seen it. There's not a lot of buzz, and I don't think a lot of other people have seen it. Yeah, so That kind of hurts. Well, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Octavia Spencer, Hidden Fit Figures, is getting kind of some momentum right now. Too. Sure. Hidden Figures in general. I think the fact that it showed up so many times on this nomination list, yeah. it's really surprising people. Michelle Williams, Manchester by the Sea, I had heard a lot of buzz for earlier when the film was first coming out. It's really waned since then. Sure. So I think this is between Viola Davis, Naomi Harris, and Octavia Spencer. I really think it comes down to Viola Davis or Naomi Harris. That's the two I think, personally. And between the two, I'm having a hard time deciding who it's going to go to. I, You know what? There again, not the biggest proponent of the movie, but... I think it'll probably go Viola Davis. Okay, I, I'm going to go Naomi say, Harris on Moonlight. All right, we'll split. Um, yeah, okay. I think Naomi Harris and Moonlight. Although I think it's, I think it could be a toss-up between those two. Sure. If it's not one of those two, or if it's not Octavia Spencer, I think it'll be a real shock. You know what? Here's the reason I'm giving it to Viola Davis: mm-hmm. screen time. 
Yeah. Because basically, it's, it's kind of a lead actress performance. Yeah, that's true. But, and a lot of people, I think there's a lot of buzz about this. How it's like, how, which category is she going to be? And they shunted her to the supporting uh, role. Yeah. So because of that, it's like, dude, she's she's the one Denzel's yelling at. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, right. it's like, it's that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm going to go with her because of that. Okay. So here comes the second most interesting category. I think the whole actress categories are fascinating this year. A lot of strong performances. Yeah, yeah. So Isabel Huppert for Elle, which is a Paul Verhoeven film I have not seen. Haven't seen, have heard about it. I definitely want to see the film. (laughs) Ruth Negga for Loving, which was a nice uh, to see that film get uh, one nomination, but it did get something. True. Natalie Portman for Jackie, which was a very highly acclaimed role that the film hasn't caught on as much as I think people were expecting. But her performance. Yeah. Her performance is getting a lot of of talk. Yeah. Emma Stone with La La Land. And then Meryl Streep. Because she was in a movie this year, she got a nomination. (laughs) What film was Meryl Streep in? Okay. Put it on the list. Don't get me wrong. I love Meryl Streep. But, you know, it's just like, it's, it's funny. Well, again, I have not seen the film, so I can't attest to whether it deserved to be on the list or And I'm sure she's great in it. Yeah. So, you know. So, actress in a leading role. Here's my, here's my thoughts. Okay. I, um, it's not going to be Meryl Streep. No, it will not okay. be Meryl Streep. I don't, it will not be Ruth Negga. But when whoever wins, they'll thank Meryl Streep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know that people are saying, oh, it'll be Emma Stone because it's La La Land. I don't think it will be. I think I'm saying it's going to be between Natalie Portman and Isabel Huppert. I think Isabel Huppert is going to be the surprise. Really? I actually think she could win this thing. Um, hmm. I think that's going to be one of the She did. Are, I think she did. Did she win something at Cannes for this? Yes. She won something. She has won awards for this okay. already. And okay. I think it's, I'm, I'm going on a limb. That's going to be my risky pick for the, for the Oscars, but I think she's going to win it. I, I I agree. I think Streep's out. I think Stone's out. I think Stone's like way out, actually. Yeah, because I mean, she was good in La La Land, and I thought she was a good uh, dancer and singer, but I didn't think it was really an acting showcase. You know, right, right, yeah. right. I'm not saying yeah. Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman could probably win. That's like a light. Like okay, pretend Natalie Portman had not been in Black Swan. Pretend she hadn't been in Star Wars. She does this role, and Jackie would have been like, "Holy crap! Who, who is, is this, this? person?" Yeah. And it's just—it's one of those life-changing when you think of Oscar performances. Daniel Day Lewis, you know, Jack Nicholson type performance. I haven't seen it, but from what I've heard mm-hmm. and stuff, like that's the takeaway from this film is her well, performance. It's I just like wow. I think she's know? the favorite going in. Yeah, but I think it's going to be one of those where you're watching the cutaways of all five of the nominees, <laughs> and they call it Isabella Huppert, and she like and freaks everybody out. Is like surprised. Okay, so that's um, I'm going to call right. it right there. I don't that's, know. That could be cool. Yeah, I think the actress categories are great because there's so many good roles in there. That yeah. I think it's going to be some interesting choices. On the actor, I don't feel like it's quite as 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 uh, intriguing. Oh, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> actor in supporting role. Sure. Mahershala Ali from Moonlight. Jeff Bridges for Hell or High Water. Lebowski. Which is, which is great. Um, <laughs> it is. Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea. I can't. I don't know can't Lucas Hedges and I haven't seen the film. Dev Patel for Lion, which I thought was great to see his name in there. Again, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm I'm glad that he's come back from Slumdog Millionaire yeah. and he's doing something besides Best Exotic Marigold Hotel sequel I movies. Agree. So Absolutely. interesting to see him there, yeah. Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. What's interesting here is that um, another supporting actor from Nocturnal Animals won the Golden Globe, and that was that Aaron um, Taylor. 
Oh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was nominated and won Best Supporting Actor for Nocturnal Animals at the Golden Globes. Interesting. Michael Shannon got nominated for the Oscars. I think just because I, I don't think Michael Shannon's going to win. I don't think Dev Patel's going to win. Agreed. And I don't think Lucas Hedges is going to win. I think this is Mahershala Ali right away. I, I, mean, I, I would agree. I'd love to see Jeff Bridges win because I think it's Jeff Bridges. But I it's think it's Jeff Bridges. But it's he won. Mahershala I Ali. love Jeff Bridges. Yeah, he didn't win for Lebowski, but he did win for Crazy Horse. That's right, he did. And he did. that was kind of like you are a great actor. You do a good yeah. job. And I think it was more of a body of work. Yeah. If he had never won an Oscar. Then I would be tempted to say maybe this could be, it. but no, I I agree. If if Ali doesn't win it, I would be really. I feel like that's the lock for yeah. Moonlight I, is I the supporting role. I completely agree, and I will so, actually be disappointed if he doesn't I, win because yeah. I really liked his role so much in that film. Agreed. All right, so then actor in a leading role: Casey Affleck from Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge. That one really surprised me as well. Yeah. Ryan Gosling for La La Land. Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic. That's the one I'm kind of surprised about. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of this film. Yeah. But it just kind of came and went. There was nothing about it. And then to see that pop up, I was like, that that is the most... I mean, I was surprised to see Hacksaw Ridge, but you talk about being really surprised. Captain Mm. Fantastic. I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then Denzel Washington for Fences. Right. Um, I will tell you... I do not think it will be Andrew Garfield. Agreed. I do not think it will be Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> De- <laughs> definitely Never. agreed. But that uh, would be so awesome if it was because you know he would have absolutely no inkling oh, that he was going to win. He'd be like, uh, he thanks. He not even be there. Right, right. right. <laughs> um, Ryan Gosling, I don't think is going to win. I don't think La La Land's going to get the two leads. I don't think it's going to get acting. acting. I agree. I, I agree. think it'll win. Well, something else I'm going to mention in sure. a little bit. But I, I don't think it's going to win the actors. I agree. Um, I think this is between Casey Affleck and Denzel Washington. I do too. And I think it's going to be Denzel Washington. I feel like I I feel like I need to see Manchester. You haven't seen either, but I I feel like I need to see it. I feel like you're probably going to say the same. It's a really good performance. And I think all the added of Oscar so white, I think that will. Well, I think there's another factor playing. Okay. Casey Affleck has a little controversy around him right now. Really? Yep. There's uh, been reports in the last few months, and this is a lot of other actors and are coming out and kind of trash-talking him for it. When he made the film uh, I'm Not Here or I'm Not, I'm with, not, uh, I'm not with Joaquin Phoenix. I'm, I'm not there. I'm still here. Yeah, like the, the Joaquin the, the Phoenix thing where he pretended to be like going there's been re- crazy. There's been reports coming out now that women have come up and said that during the production of that film that Casey Affleck was – abusive to to women verbally and kind of harassing to women again it's all rumor supposedly it's been settled out of court casey affleck's come out and said it's not true but all that's been swelling back up and even other actors and actresses are kind of coming out and saying yeah i don't you know this guy needs to be punished for what he's done or whatever i think just because of some of that mulling around it was something that took place a while ago because it's all come back up since he's been now back in the public eye with this film. Hmm. So I think I, I don't like the fact that that may be the case, that that may be influencing decisions. Cause I do feel like huh. awards should not take your personality in the mix. It should just be, this is, you know, this is the performance you well, did. But I think when we're talking about other Hollywood people voting over the next 30 days, I, I think that's going to hurt them. 
Uh, okay, interesting. So I say Denzel Washington. Okay, I'll 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 go with you on that. Yeah, Ryan Gosling would be a disappointment if he won it because I just I thought he was fine, but I didn't think he was a, a really acting as much. Um, and just Denzel Washington, I mean, it could be a little bit more body of work as well for him. So sure. Yeah. Okay, so that leads us to the last award, Best Picture. We have nine nominees this year. No, three, four. Yeah, nine nominees. Which, mm-hmm. speaking of the whole Casey Affleck and controversy surrounding, I am surprised that there's not a tenth on here. But I'm not surprised there's not a tenth on here, which has happened before. They have had ten nominees for Best Picture. Yeah, yeah what's your thoughts on that? But controversy because of Birth of a Nation. Oh, Birth of a Nation, man. There again, it was at Sunday. It was this time. It was this time last year. (coughs) You're right. Excuse me, overcoming my cold. But came out of Sundance, huge hit for Nate Parker. It was like this is going to cure the Oscars. It's going to be next year. It's going to be a Best Picture nominee lock. And all these people were like, "Oh, it's so amazing." And then controversy, controversy, controversy. controversy. It's It's nothing on here. Yeah, man, nothing. You're right. I. I so, completely forgotten Birth of a Nation now. Right, so, so and, I, and I'd never seen it. That so was, you know, that was back in the spring, man. That was that yeah. was the all the buzz. Okay, well, Best Picture. We have nine nominees. We have Arrival. Awesome to see that on the list. It a is sci-fi film actually nominated for Best Picture. Doesn't happen very often. Snowball's Chance in Hell. It'll oh, never win. <laughs> it can at least say it was a multi-nominee yeah. this year's award. Yeah, not just one token yeah. award for effects. You're right. Fences, Best Picture uh, nominee, Hacksaw Ridge. Hell or High Water. Wow, that was a surprise to see that one yes. there. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, screenplay, that's one of the ones you think it throws a bone, sure. like Lobster. Or supporting actor, too, or supporting. like you get a showy performance. But I... Best picture. Yeah, good for Hell or High yeah. Water. Yeah. Hidden Figures, which I've heard is a fine film, is a good story. You know, I think it's just getting a lot of attention because it's got all the right elements together. Sure. It's kind of mixing history and, you know, John Glenn passing away recently. You kind of tie Space all program just, stuff, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's a great story. I think it's a great timing for the movie to come out like it did. Sure. Uh, La La Land. Lion, again, one of those kind of just snuck in there and not a lot of attention, but it's there. Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight. I could have told you three, four months ago that uh, La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and probably Fences would yes. be on this list. Agreed. <laughs> the other five are somewhat surprising. Yeah. Uh, Arrival, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, and Lion. Yeah. I don't think any of those five will win. <laughs> so I think let's just focus our energy on the four that probably have a good chance. Um, I think La La Land, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, and Fences okay. are the four that are still in contention in my mind. I think it's going to be La La Land. I agree. I, I think uh, this is the year. I La feel La like Moonlight should win, but La La Land will win. So, yeah, if it's almost like if they could nom- if they could announce a, a first runner up, yeah, yeah. you know, I'd yeah. be like totally cool if I knew Moonlight was the first runner up and La La Land was the top. The, the, I'd be happy with those two. Sure. Um, yeah, Moonlight would be a surprise. I'd be okay with it. Um, if it's anything besides those two, I probably will be, I'd be disappointed surprised. and surprised. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I do think La La Land is a worthy film of winning Best Picture. I do. I, I, when I look at overall Best Picture, best total package of a film, I feel like it's, it's deserving of it. And I feel like Moonlight's deserving of it. Um, so we'll see. We shall see. That's the Oscars. 
It should be really interesting. I mean, a lot of people say this is a really good year for film. I agree. I think there have been some really good quality films here. Yeah. Um, and the fact that there's been a couple left off that we thought early in the year were going to be on this list. The fact that there's two or three that snuck on this list somehow we had no idea about. Uh, and there's still good three or four quality films that we feel like could be contenders. Uh, that's a good, uh, it's a good outcomes. Yeah, agreed. So February 26th, we'll that's be recording right. an episode shortly afterwards, I'm sure. Uh, kind of talking through what worked, what didn't work with the awards. And uh, we'll look forward to chatting about that then. Whew. That's a long way. One more part of the show. We do. Recommendations. Recommendations. Let's go ahead and do it. So this is the part of the show where we, Chris and I both recommend one film that we think you ought to check out. Or if you're not familiar with, maybe you should give it a watch when you have a moment. And typically we try to make sure these are films that you can find on iTunes, Netflix, Amazon, somewhere. So you can actually watch them from your own home. Chris, why don't you tell us your recommendations? It's available on iTunes, and I think you can get it Amazon as well. But uh, this is my counterpunch to La La Land. It's Moulin Rouge, 2001. Uh, yes. Um, when I think – I read Grant, it was 2001, so now we're talking this thing's 16 years old. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> um, but when I think of a modern musical that came out that was really innovative and just kind of off the wall and out there, I think of me, and it was successful. I mean, you know, it, it did pretty well. Uh, it's got Ewan McGregor, Nicole Kidman, Boz Lerman, who has kind of disappeared. He's done it. Yeah. He's doing a series for Netflix now that I haven't seen. He's doing the, uh, uh, is it the Get Down? The Get Down, mm-hmm. I believe is the name yeah. of it. I haven't seen it. Right. It's gotten, I think, okay reviews. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he did Romeo, a Romeo and Juliet movie. Yep. He um, did Australia, which was after Moulin Rouge, which was a disaster i fell asleep during it um so i can say i tried to watch it but moulin rouge man it just it is it was amazing i really liked it it's like so um, that's your that's your uh to to make up for what you felt la la land was missing right right um and you know honestly if i have if i'm being honest i think going into la la land i knew it wasn't going to have you know, kind of the hysteria that Moulin Rouge had because that's not, you know, he was rooting this in reality, like in mm-hmm. LA, you know, mm-hmm. but I thought it was going to have more of that energy. Yeah. So I well, knew, and I did feel like it had it at the beginning, at the beginning, and, 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 and the middle part. I agree. Moulin Rouge carried that energy the whole thing throughout. I mean, it yeah. Was it was just, just kept me interested. Five minutes yeah. was very energetic. So I, I, I agree with you. And I still say the, uh, the rooftop dancing song with Nicole Kidman and Ian McGregor, <laughs> To your song, yeah, and then the melody of love songs. I thought just great, yeah. wonderful, it's and, good stuff. Uh, it's a really, really good film. So if you liked La La Land mm-hmm. and you've never seen Moulin Rouge, I would definitely recommend you check it out. A little more trippy than La La Land, absolutely, but, but it's absolutely <laughs> good to watch. Fun yeah. to watch. So, uh, what is your recommendation? I'm looking forward to this. Well, or I have a hard time saying recommend. It's a really well made movie, huh? Boy, is it not fun to watch. Oh. We need to talk about Kevin. Uh, <laughs> I end up watching this. I, you know, I, well, Mitchell, I was sick at home. I noticed on Letterboxd that you had caught up with this. And I was like, wonder what brought that on? I, it's just on my Netflix queue. And it just sounded really interesting. And I wanted to check it out. This is Lynn Ramsey wrote and directed this film. And uh, Tilda Swinton, John C. Riley, and then Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller is um, 
We'll be seeing him a lot more of him. He was in the Wallflower team movie. The perks of being a Wallflower. Yep. And then he is the new Flash coming out in the Justice League movie. Okay. And he's done some other small films as well. Um, boy, <laughs> this one's tough. But okay. I'll tell you what, it is a really, really well-made movie. Okay. I just have a hard time even really describing too much about it. Basically, uh, John C. Riley uh, and Tilda Swinton have a child. And this child just, it's the closest that you could have to showing a child that was the child of Satan, but yet be real. Like it's not over the top and it's not gratuitous. It's just child has real issues. Wow. From almost from birth. And uh, it goes to some really dark places with this. But what's interesting about the film, okay, is I'm not selling it very well. I realize that. (laughs) It's a very harrowing film. It's sure. tough to watch. I'm, I was kind of speechless after the end of it. Hmm. Um, it. What's impressive to me is the film is told in so many different time periods. Like when we first are introduced to the film, I have no idea what's going on because it's jumping through so many different time periods as you're trying to piece it together in your head what's happening from a chronological order. Hmm. And it starts to make sense after a while. Um, but it's a tough film. Tell us what's really good in it. John C. Riley's good. That's kind of the, a little bit of the oblivious father to what's going on. Hmm. Uh, Ezra Miller is just scary. Um, oh, okay. But it's a tough film, especially in, given in light of uh, you know school violence incidences and mass shootings. This basically plays into that storyline, and it's it's a really tough watch. Okay. But it's a very very well made film. Okay. It got marketed a little bit as a. Thriller, mystery, it's not. Okay. There's no, thing, there's no mystery thriller about it. It's just watching a family go through probably one of the worst situations you can imagine a family going through hmm. with their children. So as a parent, it's very tough to watch. If you're not a parent, you have children, <laughs> it's probably a much easier watch. And okay, I, you know, yeah, I can watch, see that. W- worth watching just from a filmmaking standpoint. But boy, oh boy, it was tough. So okay. I had a hard time... Saying it's a recommendation, but I do have to give credit where credit's due. It's a well-made film. Okay. So, yeah. We need to talk about Kevin. It's on Netflix, so you can watch it for free, and uh, Amazon and iTunes and so on, too. So. Okay. All right. Well, that is our reviews and our discussions for the episode. As we said, we had a big episode. We crammed we a lot in. We hadn't put one out in a while, so we thought we'd give you an extra, extra bonus. La La Land, I'm at the really light. Chris is at the it's fine category. <laughs> Moonlight, we both really, really like, like, probably in that love category, pretty close to that as well. The Founder, uh, it's it's a fine film to watch if you're interested in the topic, interested in the subject matter, and just a really big Michael Keaton fan. But uh, just it just didn't hit all the right buttons for me to make it a great film. And then you talked about Fences, which acting-wise, you were really uh, giving a lot of compliments, but film-wise, it was okay. Sure. So, um translating a stage play to a film maybe just didn't translate quite as well right we need to talk about kevin tough film but i think interesting to see if you've got the stomach for it and then you also talked about on uh your recommendation moulin rouge is kind of the uh supplement to la la land (laughs) if you're needing something a little bit more than what you felt like you got from la la land all the nominations obviously we'll be talking about it after the end of february to see how we did see if there were any surprises or if it kind of plays the way we're expecting should be a lot of fun. 
Whew. And we did a lot in an episode. We so, did. Good we did. deal. Chris, people have listened to us. Obviously, if they stuck with this whole episode. They, <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. But if they have more they want to talk to us about, in addition to what we've already talked about, how would they get a hold of us? You can forward? drop us an email at info at the mesh.tv. Tell us what you like, didn't like, a movie that you have heard of that you want us to hear of or talk about on the show. You can do that. Leave us a note there. You can also go to the website that Alan mentioned uh, the mesh.tv, which has all of our past episodes as well as bunches of other episodes and podcasts put out by the mesh network. Alan and I are both on Letterboxd. That's where I was stalking Alan and saw that he watched. Uh, we got to talk about, or we need to talk about Kevin. We need to talk, we about, need to Kevin. talk about Kevin. That's yeah. where I had seen that he'd watched that. We put, we kind of try to keep up with diaries on there. Sometimes we put little mini reviews. You can kind of follow us on that too also i would be remiss we are taking submissions for our foot candle film festival which will be september 22nd through the 24th of 2017 yes so please you know check us out that's foot footcandlefilmfestival.com mm-hmm. you can find out more information there yeah we're really excited it's going to be a great third year that's big, right our big three the big three so, you know this is the if, if, if we were speaking in trilogy terms then you know some could say that if we were doing the Star Wars original trilogy, the one, the first one was classic. Right. Like it's, it just has a high standard. Some may say that the second one we elevated a little bit, maybe the better. I personally like Return of the Jedi, so I'm okay like, with it being the third. As film. long as we're not Revenge of the Sith, that's what we need to. <laughs> Some people may say we're, don't let us be the Ewoks version of the festival, but right. I like Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi is still a good film. Yeah, as long as we don't go Godfather three. So. Oh, the Godfather three or Revenge of the Sith? If you go to the the other set of Star Wars movies, yeah, sure. We're gonna try to avoid that the best. Absolutely. We can all right. Well, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We always love to hear back from our audience, so please let us know if you got any questions or thoughts. And we will be back in short order within the next few weeks with another episode uh, talking about some other films and reviews and news. So thanks a lot for listening. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.